Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 21. Andre was at the spot drinking. I mean, it's funny that the place is literally called the spot. Yo, I'm going to be at the spot drinking. Andre was at the spot drinking. He had been there since the bar had opened late that afternoon, and he would probably stay until the joint closed sometime in the wee hours of the morning. Didn't have any reason to go home. Yesterday, his woman had taken the kid and split for her mama's crib in Memphis, leaving behind a letter. I'm tired of your broke ass, her note said. I'm already taking care of two kids, and I ain't taking care of no grown man. Call me when you're ready to get your shit together. Sitting on a patched up bar stool, Andre hunched over his can of cores. His girl was crazy as hell, but he wasn't worried about it too much. She left him at least three times in the past two years, and she always came back. It seemed to happen every six months or so, and she stayed away for a couple weeks. Once he figured out that she was just showing out like a baby throwing a tantrum, he'd begun to look forward to her going away on her little trips to Mama's. It was like a vacation for him. He didn't have to hear her nagging him about getting a job. He could live in his house and have some peace, sleep all day, do whatever the hell he wanted. He loved his woman, but she could be a pain in the ass. Tonight, the spot was full of brothers like him. Guys who needed a break from the women in their lives. Some of them shot pool. Others played darts. The rest of the customers were sipping drinks, talking, and nodding their heads to the old school music bumping from the boombox. Every man in there was a regular. There wasn't an unfamiliar face or a woman in the joint. In spite of the regulars in the house doing their usual stuff, things were different in the bar. The thunderstorm had knocked out the electrical power, so the place was illuminated by candles and kerosene lamps, and the TV, jukebox, and arcade games sat unused, like old furniture. It was Labor Day, and the spot had never been open on a holiday. And if you look closely... You'd notice a bulge underneath almost every man's shirt, the telltale shape of a gun. Tension simmered in the smoky air, too. Today, the spot wasn't a normal hangout. It was like an army barracks in the midst of a war, and none of the old rules mattered. Motherfucking vampires, Andre thought. That was what people were saying. Vampires. Of all the things in the world, their town had been invaded by monsters out of a horror movie. He wouldn't have believed it if he hadn't been there at the cave with Junior. Ever since that night, 
he found it easy to believe in all kind of things that he would have laughed about before. He still had not told anyone what he had seen, and he sure as hell wasn't going to open his mouth now. They might blame him for stirring up the shit in the first place. He was going to sit there on his stool, put away bruise, and mind his business. He didn't have a gun either. He wasn't going to try and be a hero or plan a battle of vampire. None of that shit. The only thing he really wanted to do was leave town, but some fellas had said the roads were blocked off with heaps of split trees. Besides, he didn't have anywhere to go anyway. He sure as hell wasn't going to stay with his woman and her mama in Memphis. Dracula himself would have been no match for his woman's mama. The CD player on the boombox started to skip on an Earth, Wind, and Fire classic, Fantasy. Booker T, a guy Andre had known for years, wrapped the top of the stereo, shook it hard, and finally the song resumed. Booker T plopped onto the stool beside Andre. Don't be tearing up my goddamn property, Booker T, Mr. Clyde, the owner and bartender, said. He was a stout, thick-armed man with salt-and-pepper hair and reputedly had served time in the state pen for killing a man 20-some years ago. You want to shake up a boombox, buy one your goddamn self. My apologies, Mr. Clyde, Booker T said. Can you please give me a cola, sir? With a lemon wedge, of course. Mr. Clyde mumbled. He slid a can of Coke and a lemon wedge in front of Booker T. Booker T's apologetic tone didn't surprise Andre. Mr. Clyde didn't take any shit in his joint. Andre had seen the old guy throw out many a nigga. Booker T sipped his drink. He was a short, scrawny guy who wore wire rim glasses, a white dress shirt, and suspenders. A pocket notebook bulged in his breast pocket. People said he was a lunatic genius. One of those cats who was so smart, he couldn't lead a regular life. Andre usually saw the guy walking the streets at all times of the day, muttering to himself and staring at things like trees and rocks and birds for hours, and scribbling endlessly in his tiny notebook. A regular at the spot. Booker T always played darts and drank cola with a lemon wedge floating inside. What do you think of what's going on down here, Andre? Booker T said. Do you believe the story about vampires? Andre shrugged. All I know is, once the sun goes down, I keep my black ass indoors. Then you believe it. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. Folks been disappearing. Mad dogs been biting niggas. That's all I need to keep my ass inside till it blows over. Booker T reached into the bowl of peanuts, popped a couple nuts into his mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Andre, this is a conspiracy engineered by the government. They're testing a virus on us, a biological weapon. Mason's Corner is a testing ground for a new strand of super virus. You read that in a book somewhere, Andre said. Booker T guffawed as if Andre had asked the dumbest question in the world. <laughs> no, I didn't reach this conclusion by reading a book. Don't you understand the book publishing in this country is manipulated by the government? I reached this conclusion through my field research. He tapped the notebook in his shirt pocket and smiled smugly. Andre wanted to wipe that self-satisfied smile off Booker T's face by telling him what had happened at the cave, but he kept his mouth shut. Let the crazy nigga believe whatever he wanted. It ain't no goddamn government conspiracy, Mr. Clyde said. He rested his meaty, tattooed forearms on the counter. 
You need to take your goddamn nose out that notebook, Booker T. There's some supernatural shit happening here. Goddamn demons, man. Only God can save us. You can't do no research on that. Booker T shook his head sadly. When under duress, our people turn to the comforting bosom of primitive superstition and childish wish fulfillment. Watch your goddamn mouth, boy, Mr. Clyde said. You won't be spitting out them big words when you're picking up your teeth off the floor. Andre laughed. <laughs> you better watch it, Booker T. Booker T waved his hand as if it didn't matter. Please, indulge my curiosity, Mr. Clyde. If vampires are overrunning our town, how did it begin? Did they fall out of the sky? There's one of the master vampires out there somewhere, Mr. Clyde said. He looked at the windows, which were veiled against the night. Anxiety glimmered in his eyes. Just like in the movies, an old goddamn vampires come to town and start his shit. Booker T rolled his eyes, but Andre was quiet. Mr. Clyde's probably more right than he thinks, Andre thought. He remembered the mysterious man in black he had seen at the cave, who could move faster than Andre could blink. He shivered. Quickly, he grabbed his beer and chugged the rest of it. As Andre was about to ask for another brew, the front door banged open, bringing the howl of the cold wind, a rustling wave of dead leaves, and the biggest man he had ever seen in his life. The man was at least seven feet tall, with a powerful build, like a giant football linebacker. He wore a black shirt that seemed barely able to contain his wide shoulders, black jeans, and gleaming black boots. His skin was a deep cocoa brown, his hair was bald, and his eyes were utterly black, like pits leading straight to hell. Silence clutched the room in a vice grip. Every man in the joint froze, mouths agape. Andre held his breath. The man's gaze swept throughout the bar, and Andre had the feeling that in one gaze, this guy sized up all of them and made a decision. He stepped across a threshold. Shadows flitted across him like bats. My name is Diallo, he said. His voice was deep, yet he spoke in a low tone that carried clearly throughout the place. I'm seeking soldiers. I can use each of you, but I'll kill any that do not submit. Which of you men will avert death, join my army, and taste true freedom? A pause. Then, almost as one, the men drew their guns and aimed at the man who called himself Diallo. He's the big dog vampire, Andre thought, wishing that he had a gun too. He was willing to bet his life that this was the motherfucker that they were just talking about. The guy oozed evil power. Booker T flipped out a pocket knife. Andre almost laughed, but he didn't have a weapon at all for himself. He noticed an old billiard stick leaning against the wall near him. He grasped it in his shaky hands. Better than nothing. Look here, a guy said. It was Calvin Jones who worked at the barbershop. I don't know who you think you are stepping up in here like this, but me and the brothers here don't want no trouble. We don't want no part of nobody's army. So push on. Right, another man said. He had a big faux faux. Get the fuck out of here and leave us alone. And I'm backing up my customers, Mr. Clyde said. He took a sawed-off shotgun from under the counter. I don't want no trouble here. Get off my goddamn property before I blow a hole in you. 
Diallo's face was expressionless. He made another step forward. The snick click of cocking triggers popped throughout the air. The only way that you'll leave alive, Diallo said, is by joining me. Those who submit, come to me and kneel. If you do not submit, the price for disobedience is death. Out, Mr. Clyde said. Perched behind the bar counter, he took aim with the shotgun. The vampire thoughtfully regarded the firearms pointed at him. A faint smile played across his face. Andre squeezed the cue stick so tightly, it was a wonder it didn't snap in half. He blinked a drop of sweat out of his eye. The vampire disappeared. Just like that, he was gone. The door yawned into the stormy night. Each man in the room released a chest full of air. Then the door, propelled by an unseen force, slammed shut. And someone cried out, He's behind us! Andre looked. Diallo was behind the pool table, gripping a billiard stick. The man nearest the vampire tried to fire his pistol, but he was too slow. Diallo drove the stick through the guy's chest like a man spearing a fish the bloody tip poking out between the victim's shoulder blades. The man choked out a garbled scream, his arms flailing uselessly at the wooden pole. Diallo lifted the man high and flung him across the room. The guy crashed into the pinball machine, leaving a smear of blood across the display. Andre's stomach convulsed. He tastes a warm beer bubbling up in his throat. Shoot him, goddammit, Mr. Clyde said. Andre covered his head and dropped to the floor. Mr. Clyde's shotgun boomed. More guns fired as the men attacked the monster. Bullets hammered Diallo, but he did not fall, stumble, or bleed. The bullets seemed to bounce off his body. Crouched, Andre could see the floor around Diallo. Rounds rained to the hardwood. He had to get out of there. That was the only way he could survive. Across the room, Diallo grabbed the edge of the pool table. He flipped it across the floor as though it weighed no more than a dinner plate. It slammed against the wall, billard balls flying, and the men tried to scatter out of the way. But one of the men got trapped between a wall panel and a pool table, and Andre swore he could hear the sound of the man's chest being crushed under the weight. The guy's scream ripped through the air. Andre rose higher. He was about to make a run for the door when a beeline of men got there before him and tried to open it. But it wouldn't open. Somehow, Diallo had sealed the door. I'll go to the back, Andre thought. The hallway behind him was as dark as a snake's throat. Three men rushed Diallo at once. Diallo lifted a chair and brought it down on the first guy's head, busting his skull and shattering the chair, the man going down the hail of wood shards. Diallo plunged his fist into the second man's solar plexus, drove it all the way into the man's guts, then snatched out his hand with a bloody fistful of intestines, the dead guy collapsing, legs kicking. The third man tried to tackle Diallo, but Diallo clamped his hands on his skull and twisted so fast the man's head came clean off. Diallo hurled the decapitated head across the room, where it smashed into the liquor bottles lined up behind the bar. Mr. Clyde yelped like a frightened child and took cover behind the counter. Andre didn't know whether to piss his pants or vomit. He was so scared he thought he could do both. 
There are only five men left, including Andre. Two men strained in vain to open the door. Booker T hid under the table, and Mr. Clyde had vanished behind the bar. Diallo strolled to the guys near the door. They began to cry. One of the men kneeled, arms raised in supplication. Now's my chance, Andre thought. I'm not kneeling before that motherfucker. No way. Staying low, he bolted into the black hallway. Heart beating so hard, he thought he might pass out. He couldn't see a damn thing back here. Where was the door? He shouldered open the door, went to a small room lit with a candle. It was the washroom. Shit! How could he get out? He saw a square window high up on the wall. But the window was too small for him to squeeze through it. He had to find another way. He ran into the hall. A giant hand closed over his throat. Andre gasped, beat his hands at the body in front of him, but it was like punching a concrete wall. The vampire lifted him in the air. Andre's feet dangled above the floor. Just when he thought he would black out, the vampire threw him. He whammed against the table, pain barking in his shoulder, salt and pepper shakers knocking against his head. He was woozy and in a universe of pain, but he had the presence of mind to look around. Four men, including Mr. Clyde and Booker T, knelt near the bar, like sinners at a confessional. Diallo towered above them, an unholy priest. Join us, Diallo said. He extended his hand. His eyes, black as bottomless wells, fixed on Andre. Andre spat out a mouthful of blood. He crawled across the floor, straightened up, and kneeled. King, Nia whistled. <laughs> Come on, where are you, boy? She was in an alley between rows of houses and short brick buildings. Thickets of darkness surrounded her on every side. Wind blew scraps of litter around her. The scraping of trash against gravel sounded like a bony finger scratching against a coffin lid. She hugged herself against the chill breeze and the deeper chill that had sunk into her marrow. King, wherever you are, come on out. No answer. Only the rasping wind. What had gotten into the dog to make him run off? He had seemed like such a well-behaved animal, as clever as a person in some ways. Much like her own dog, Princess, she remembered with a pang of sorrow. She walked along the alley, her running shoes scattering pebbles here and there. King, come here, boy. It's Naya. She might as well have been addressing the wind. It would have given her more of a response. She checked her watch. Ten minutes until she had to meet David. She didn't want to return without his dog. Although David didn't blame her for King slipping away, she felt responsible for allowing the canine to scramble out of the truck. King was like a kid brother to David. Losing the dog would crush him. King, come on out, boy. The wind died. A hush fell over her. She heard, somewhere ahead, a low growl. Her fingers tightened around the leather dog leash. She jogged forward, lightly, to minimize the sound of her shoe soles striking the ground. On her left, there was a brown wooden fence. The big gate, wide enough to admit a truck, gaped open. She thought the growl had come from that direction, but she wasn't sure. It was worth a look. She stepped inside the enclosure, a blue dumpster on her left, 
Stacks of wooden pallets and milk crates on her right. In front of her, a low gray brick building. After performing a quick mental reorientation, she recognized that she was behind Max Meat and Foods. One of the steel double doors at the back of the store hung open, giving her a glimpse of a slice of darkness beyond. It puzzled her. Mac ran a tight ship. Everyone in town knew that. He would have never closed the market without fastening those doors. What was going on? The soft canine growl reached her again. It was definitely coming from inside the store. What was King, if it was really King inside, doing in there? What was he growling at? The dog could have been agitated by anything. Something as small and harmless as a cat. Or something bigger and far more dangerous. Her hand went to the revolver on her hip holster. She had snapped the holster's buckle, drew out the gun. She wrapped the dog leash around her wrist to get it out of the way. She moved to the doorway. She cocked her head, listened. Silence, taut with tension as if whoever, or whatever, was inside, was holding its breath. Just like she was. She dug the mini flashlight out of her fanny pack. She swept the thin blade of light across the darkness inside. A small chamber, full of crates and boxes, but no one was inside. In the far corner, there appeared to be another door, half open. She checked her watch again. Seven minutes, then I gotta go. I want to find King, and I think he's in there, but I promised David that I'd return on time. Promised him that I'd find the dog, too. She pushed open the door and crept into the darkness beyond. Jalil had to get his father to a hospital immediately. The siren wailing on the patrol car, Jalil sped across the dark streets. He ran through stop signs without slowing. No one was out driving, and even if they were, he was in a cop car, and they should get the hell out of his way. In the back seat, Dad groaned. <sighs> I'm going to get help for you, Daddy, Jalil said. He glanced fearfully at the rearview mirror. Dad was slumped in the seat, eyes shut his face greasy with sweat. Jalil squeezed the steering wheel. Just hold on, Daddy. Hold on, please. After that fucking vampire, Kyle, has stabbed Dad in the chest. Not in the heart, thank God. Jalil has shot the monster between the shoulder blades. But he hadn't killed the vampire. Screaming in anger, the creature had jumped out the truck and flown away into the night, like a giant bat. He hadn't attacked Jalil, which was weird. Maybe the asshole figured that the worst thing he could do to Jalil was try to take his father away from him. If that was what he had been thinking, he was right. The other vampires had chased after the rest of the people on the patrol teams. Those folks cut out so fast it wasn't funny. Some of them on foot, others in their cars. Within minutes, the parking lot was empty and Jalil was left with a dead man in the flatbed and his father. Somehow, he had driven the dad's police car, gotten the first aid kit out of the truck, and found some pads that he used to staunch the flow of blood from dad's wound. There was so much blood, Jalil had vomited on himself. But he was still able to keep going and take bandages on his father's chest. He'd carried dad to the car and slid him across the back seat. Before he peeled away, he said a quick prayer over old Mac's body, then peeled the flamethrower off the man's back and stored it in the trunk. 
on the walkie-talkie, he tried reaching the other team members so they could tell him where he could find Dr. Green, but no one answered him. He wouldn't have been surprised if everyone had split town, the cowards. He was on his own. He didn't know how he kept going in the face of all this misery and madness. He felt as though he were in a feverish daze or in a really bad dream. He pushed the car hard. It pissed him off that the bloodsucker bastards had taken over the hospital in Dark Corner, but there was nothing he could do about it. Outside of town, the nearest medical center was in Hernando, about 15 minutes away, when driving the speed limit, that is. He wanted to get there in half the time. He swerved on the main street at high speed. The tire squealed, and the car tipped to the side slightly, but he didn't roll over. On the straightaway road, he blasted the gas pedal. The engine cried out like a horse popped with the whip, and the vehicle rocketed forward. The fastest way to Hernando was to take Main Street to the Interstate 55 North exit, then zoom 10 miles down the highway. The 155 exit was just past the bridge that spanned the Coldwater River, only a mile or so ahead. Dad groaned again, softer this time, weaker. <sighs> Hang on, Daddy, Jalil pleaded. Oh, God, he just couldn't think about Dad not making it. Couldn't. Wouldn't. But Dad had lost so much blood, it was like someone had dumped a bucket of red paint on him. He's going to make it, Jalil muttered to himself. That was it. End of story. Period. Ahead, the metal bridge floated into view. He rammed the accelerator to the floor. The speedometer ticked to 85, 90, 95, 100... Hunched over the trembling wheel, he ground his teeth so hard that his jaws ached. 110. The bridge was only a couple hundred feet away. Then he saw something unbelievable. Oh, fuck! He frantically mashed the brake pedal. The car screeched, skidding to a delayed stop that carried him a quarter of the way across the bridge. If he had rolled only 20 feet farther, he would have been dead. Because the bridge had been torn in half. Beyond his side, the support beams had been scorched and twisted, and the roadway was split as the karate chopped by a giant. The mangled road dropped steeply into the river below. Jalil hammered the steering wheel. Shit, shit, shit! He knew what had happened. That fucking vampire Diallo. He had done this somehow. He had probably thrown lightning bolts at the bridge like it was Zeus or something. Shit! His eyes getting watery, he slammed into reverse, rolled off the bridge and back on the main street. He switched off the siren. He looked over the seat to check his dad. Dad was unconscious, and he wasn't moaning anymore, but his chest rose and fell slowly. A good sign. It could be worse. Just keep hanging on, Dad, Jalil whispered. But what was he going to do now? Without access to 155, he'd have to do a bunch of winding country roads to get to Hernando. And that damn vampire probably blocked those routes too. He was a slick bastard. Think, man, Jalil ordered himself. He remembered the dad had advised him to call David Hunter if anything bad happened. He didn't know what Hunter could do to help him, or if Hunter was even around. But it was the only decent option he had left. The cell phone was stashed in the cup holder. Thankfully, Dad had programmed Hunter's cell number in the phone. I hope he's not gone too, Jalil thought. 
pressing the button to dial the number. It seemed like everyone else was. For once, Jalil had a stroke of good luck. David Hunter answered on the first ring. Darkness rendered the grocery store, a place where Nia had shopped frequently over at least the past 10 years, as unfamiliar and mysterious as a moon cavern. Her miniature flashlight did little to alleviate the feeling that she had wandered into a strange new realm. She had crossed the storage room without incident and entered the main floor of the market. She was at the back of the shopping area. On her left, there were six dark aisles. On her right, the produce area, the open-air coolers filled with cantaloupes, lettuce, watermelons, oranges, bananas, tomatoes, and other items. The store was crypt silent. She edged to the first aisle, swept the flashlight beam across it. Nothing but shelves packed with cereals, pastas, grits, rice, and more. She knew the contents of the shelves like she knew the inside of a cupboard at her own house. She moved forward to the next aisle. No one was there either. At the end of the third grocery aisle, she spotted King. He was at the end of the row, positioned behind a revolving rack full of packets of Kool-Aid. The dog appeared to be hiding from someone. When her flashlight beam touched King's flank, he looked back at her, big brown eyes shining. But the dog did not move. He turned back to whatever had captured his attention. What was he doing up there? She had never seen a dog behave so oddly. But the dog's obvious alertness to danger nearby had made a ball of ice form in her stomach. The iciness spread from her stomach and throughout her limbs until her entire body was chilled. She lowered the flashlight. Clutching the revolver, she lightly tread across the aisle, stopping just behind King. She rested her hand on his furry back. His muscles were bunched up. What's wrong, boy? She whispered. What's bothering you? King peered through the rack and whined. He licked her fingers. His tongue was like sandpaper. She peeked between the bars of the rack. It gave her a peephole view of the meat department, which occupied the whole wall on the east side of the store. She didn't see anything of concern, but it was dark and nearly impossible to make out any details. She inched around the rack. She flicked on the flashlight. Colin Morgan walked through the passageway at the end of the meat counter. She gasped. <sighs> this time, Morgan didn't have a knife. He had a handgun. It was much bigger than hers, too. Behind Naya, King growled. That mutt's got a nose like a bloodhound, Morgan said. Follow me all the way in here, just like I've been following you, Miss James. Her hand trembling, she shunned the light beam at him. He was not a vampire. He was still human. But he was out of his mind and relentless. And that was as bad as him being a blood-sucking monster. There's some weird shit going on in this little hick town, Morgan said. But I don't care about that. Nothing's going to stop me from having you. We're meant to be together. Stop resisting and give yourself to me. Never. She raised her gun. He raised his revolver too. He aimed it at her head. It was like looking into the tube of a cannon. She swallowed dryly, but she did not lower her gun. Drop it, Miss James, he said. You don't have the nerve to shoot me. You proved that earlier. 
Naya felt King tense behind her, like a coiled cobra. She decided to take a big risk. Okay. She blew out her breath and dropped the gun on the floor and the flashlight too. You win. I knew you didn't have it in you, bitch, Morgan said. He laughed. <laughs> get your fine ass over here. I'm going to take you behind the counter so we can get properly reacquainted. Bowing her head as if defeated, she shuffled forward. She counted on Morgan relaxing his grip on the gun, and she counted on the darkness coming to her aid. Most of all, she counted on King. When she had taken about three hesitant steps, she suddenly dashed to the right, into another aisle. You bitch! Morgan yelled. He swung the gun around, trying to regain his aim on her, but in the near blackness, it would be difficult for him to see. Then King roared. Get him, boy! Tear his heart out! Naya urged. The dog tackled Morgan. Together, they hit the floor. Morgan's gun spun out of his grasp. Get off me, you fucking mutt! Get off me! King was on top of the man, snapping and biting. Then the dog yelped in pain and scrambled away. Morgan bellowed triumphantly. <laughs> A blood-smeared switchblade glinted in his hand. Oh, no. King staggered into the wall. The dog's legs gave way, and he settled heavily against the floor, tongue lolling. As Morgan got back to his feet, smiling maniacally, Naya charged him. Back, bitch! Morgan swiped at her with the blade, making her stop in her tracks to avoid being cut. Don't make me carve up that pretty face of yours. Naya drew herself into a fighting stance. Her gun was on the floor, out of easy reach. She had only her bare hands to defend herself. But she had trained for a moment like this. She clenched her hands in the fists. Morgan circled her like a sword fighter. You're all mine, he whispered. The more you fight me, the more I love you. Keep fighting me, baby. It's going to make fucking you that much sweeter. This man was sick. Insane. But she did not lose her cool. As she'd been taught, she skipped backwards, light on her feet, as if she were a fencer. She rolled her hands in a dog-digging motion to distract him and protect her vital areas. He faked a thrust. She hopped back, then fired a sharp kick into a shin. Damn it! His face contorted in agony. He gritted his teeth. Then he swiped at her, wildly. She ducked out of the nice looping path and blasted his shin again in the same tender spot. He wailed, his leg crumpling under him. <laughs> Nia was about to wade in to knock him out with a blow to the head, but he lunged at her, and this time she moved too slowly. The blade sliced across her arm. Crying out, she fell, her arm burning as if doused with gasoline instead of flame. With only one good leg, Morgan crawled after her. She whimpered, holding her arm, blood seeping between her fingers. She scooted backwards across the floor. I'm gonna fuck you till you bleed. Just like you're bleeding now, he said. Gonna take my time and give you the sweet love you've been missing. She could not imagine the horror of allowing Morgan to have his way with her. She'd rather die before that happened. He crawled forward. Saliva foamed from his lips, 
The switchblade was drenched in gore. My gun has to be around here somewhere. She glanced over her shoulder. The thirty-two lay near the flashlight, which speared the darkness with a pale yellow beam. Biting her tongue against the pain in her wounded arm, she scrambled like a crab after the weapon. Got it. Gripped it tight. For the last time, you won't shoot me, bitch, Morgan said, mockingly. You're too weak. Naya took aim. Twice, she had declined to shoot this man. But as far as she was concerned, he was hardly a man anymore. And circumstances had pushed her way over the line and made her capable of doing anything to protect herself. There was only one way out of this. And it was not the sadistic rape and torture that Morgan suggested. Put it down, Morgan commanded. It's over, Naya said. Finally. She squeezed the trigger. The bullet drilled in between the eyes. His head lolled to the side, and his mouth gaped in a silent howl. He fell backwards and struck the floor like a lead weight. She released a sigh that came from the depths of her soul. Colin Morgan was finally dead. She threw away the gun. A choked sob burst out of her. (laughs) She forced herself to hold back her tears, though doing so made her chest swell painfully. She went to the dog. Lying against the wall, legs drawn under him, King had watched everything. Blood dampened his breast. Oh, you sweet poor thing. She gently brushed the dog's head. King feebly licked her hand. We're going to take care of you, understand? You're going to be okay. She got her cell phone out of her fanny pack and called David. With Jalil trailing him in the patrol car, David screeched to a stop in front of Max Meat and Foods. I never should have let Nia go off on her own, he thought. When she called him on her cell phone and told him what had happened, such anxiety had struck him that his stomach ached. He could have lost her. She had come within a thread's width of death. While Jalil waited in the car with his father, David got out and banged against the store's front entrance. Nia pushed open the door. You got here fast, she said. Her hair was disheveled. Dry blood spattered her face, and she had wrapped a thick bandage around her left arm. He had never been so glad to see anyone. He pulled her into his arms. She squeezed him, digging her fingers into his back. God, I'm so glad you're okay, he said, his face buried in her hair. How are you feeling? Awful, but glad I'm alive. I found King. He saved my life, David. They went inside. King lay against the wall. The dog raised his head when David came near, and his tail switched back and forth. You crazy mutt, David said. He blinked away a tear and rested his hand on King's back. Look what you went and got us into, trying to be super dog. We're going to get you all patched up, boy. You'll be all right. King licked his fingers. Naya knelt beside them. I moved Morgan's body. I dragged it into the meat freezer behind the counter. She shook her head, sighed. I killed a man, David. It was in self-defense. You had no choice. Her face was haunted. I know, but that doesn't make me feel any better. I feel really, really sick. I wish I hadn't done it, but you're right. I didn't have any choice. I'm sorry, Naya. 
Mac is going to go nuts when he sees what happened here, she said. He won't be around to complain. Mac is gone. Gone? You mean, dead? He nodded slowly. Jalil told me. Kyle and his army of vampires, they were too much for him. The patrol teams are gone. Everyone was either overwhelmed in a fight or said to hell with it and ran away to save themselves. We're on our own. Me, you, Jackson, and his son, she said. Yeah, but Jackson can't help us. He's in the car with his son. He was stabbed, not bitten, and lost a lot of blood. I want to give him the pearls, but I'm afraid she won't be able to do much for him. She's worked miracles before, so people say. Then I sure hope she could work another one, he said. But we're going to need more than one miracle to get through this alive, Naya. We're going to need a night full of them. A golden glow radiated from the windows of Pearl's home, like a lighthouse on a night-veiled sea. Pearl answered the door before David could knock. Thank you so much for letting us come here, David said. We hate to impose on you like this. Nonsense. It's my duty to help, Pearl said. Come on. I'll help you bring your dog and Chief Jackson inside. David and Jalil carried Jackson, who was still unconscious, into the guest bedroom. Naya and Pearl took King to a cleared-out space in the living room. Candles throughout the house provided warm light. Although Pearl lived on the outskirts of town, she too had lost electrical power due to the storm. Pearl attended to Jackson, while David worked on King. Because David had taken a first aid class for dog owners a couple of years ago, and had treated King for minor injuries in the past, he competently administered care to the dog. Fortunately, he had the foresight to always keep a canine first aid kit in the truck, too. He gave King a small dose of Benadryl to help him relax. Then he used scissors to trim the fur around the knife wound. The blood had clotted, a good sign, and the cut did not appear deep or to have touched a major organ. David cleaned the wound, using a mild soap and warm water. Then he applied a telfa pad, which he had coated with neosporin. He added two more layers of bandaging, securing the final layer with tape. There. All better now, Mr. King, David said. King bleaked sleepily. The Benadryl would keep him drowsy for a while. David went to check on Jackson. In the bedroom, Pearl sat at Jackson's bedside and Naya and Jalil sat on chairs that surrounded the bed. David knelt beside Naya. What do you think, Pearl? David said. He's in shock, she said, due to having lost a tremendous amount of blood. I cleaned and redressed his wound. However, to have the best opportunity to recover, he needs a transfusion. A blood transfusion? David asked. We'd have to take him to the hospital for that, and you know... The hospital's been overrun with vampires, and the blood supply doubtlessly raided, Pearl said. I understand the circumstances are not in our favor, David. I'll do the best I can. What if we take him to another hospital, Naya said. There's one in Hernando. It's only a 15-minute drive. We can't leave town, Jalil shook his head. I tried. The bridge is torn up, and I bet the other roads out of here are blocked, too. They thought of everything, man. He sniffled. <laughs> wiped his nose angrily with his blood-stained shirt. My dad, he's not going to make it, is he? 
I've witnessed many miracles in my life, child, Pearl said. She held Jalil's hand. Please, keep hope. Pearl resumed her healing treatment, which she called Riki. Her eyes closed, her face serene yet concentrated. She slowly moved her hands across Jackson's body, keeping her palms balanced above his skin. Riki, she said, was simply a method of channeling and directing life force energy. In the absence of high-tech medical equipment and a staff of doctors, it was the most powerful technique at her disposal. As David watched, he thought about the irony of Jackson's condition. He needed a blood transfusion in the midst of a vampire attack, for God's sake. If they merely took Jackson into the fray of battle, he was sure the vampires would be willing to share a little blood. Not funny, he thought. Rain wrapped against the windows. The storm clouds had finally begun to shed their burdens. Occasionally, a strong wind buffeted the house, like a punch thrown by a furious spirit. How long would it be before the vampires located them? Surely they were searching. The fiends would not rest until they had found them. He looked away from the window. Naya rose out of her chair. Pearl, can I use your bathroom? Naya said. I need to clean myself up. Pearl turned, her hands hovering over Jackson's chest. Of course, you'll find towels in the cabinet underneath the sink. Her dark eyes went to David. Make yourselves at home. There's some tea I've already brewed in the kitchen, and food if you're hungry. I'll be treating Chief Jackson for quite some time. Thank you, David said. Jalil, can I get you anything? No, he said quickly. I'm staying in here. That kid is tough, but he's held together with thin wire right now, David thought. He wished he could do something, but there was nothing he could do. All he could do was be prepared to step in and be a friend for Jalil, like he had promised Jackson that he would. Jackson's features were slack and peaceful. Gone was a melancholy expression that habitually dragged down the police chief's face, making him look 20 years older. But David found the man's placid countenance disturbing. He looked like a dead man on display in a coffin. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook uh, You can leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts And then copy and paste that into Good Pods, the app Thank you to everybody who's left a review on each I greatly appreciate it uh, To those who haven't, go ahead and leave a review it, I don't know what exactly it does But, you know, just I like to read what you think Honestly more than anything else, I like to read what y'all think about what I'm doing. Uh, you can donate to the show at uh, patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or at the Good Pods app. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. 
you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my dad, and you say, 